Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, it appears as though you and I are responsible for one of the more controversial social debates happening right now in the Freaks group. Yeah, we talked a while ago about how you uh, unload the dishwasher incorrectly. No, And apparently some people... Some people uh, felt the need to chime in on that. Yeah. and I believe, just to recap, that you should unload the top and then work your way down. And then the silverware drawer or silverware uh, holder is the last thing that you take out. You, on the other hand, say you should do it the other way around. My concept is it's easier to do the top tray with the, with the drinks. And so you're done with that. And then you're encouraged and it's, it's kind of like, well, I can build on this success. I'm sorry, just real quick. Are you telling me that if you were to unload the dishwasher, starting with the silverware and you finish the silverware rack, Mm -hmm. you might just abandon the whole project because it was so difficult. Yes. That the silverware (laughs) is the most difficult part because I'm always afraid I'm going to cut myself or If the forks are put in prongs up, which, you know, is the proper way to load the forks, I'm afraid I'm going to get one stuck under my fingernail when when I'm unloading the the silverware. So unloading silverware from the dishwasher is the most stressful part for me. So someone shared, I got to say, Kat, you're 100% right about the proper dishwasher order. Jethro is wrong. (laughs) So, so wrong. (laughs) But then there was a poll uh, made on the Freaks group, yeah. and your team, Team Jethro, uh-huh. is uh, way ahead. Way ahead, of course, yeah. because you know we're not crazy. I mean, it it doesn't make any sense, and I it, my my brain literally <laughs> goes, "Oh, it's because you don't know better." Like, <laughs> like, like I'm a total dick. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I'm oh, sorry. You bad. don't mind old, gross dishwasher <laughs> water just splashing all over your clean dishes? That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> You animals. (laughs) It amuses me beyond belief to see that that has become like a uh, 
Team Jethro, Team Cat kind of thing. Yeah, it, we're going to make T-shirts, I think. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but your team is winning. It's like 90 to 50 or something like that. It's nuts. <laughs> Go Team Jethro. <laughs> you know what? I'm just grateful that you unload the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> On November 10th, 1985, a hunter milling around the woods in Allenstown, New Hampshire, at Bear Brook State Park, came across... A metal 55-gallon drum near the site of a burned-down store. Oh, no. That's never a good sign. Nope. Inside were the bodies of an adult female and a young girl, wrapped in plastic, possibly uh, garbage bags. Autopsies determined both had died of blunt trauma. Uh, The two were buried in an Allenstown cemetery with a tombstone that read simply, Quote, here lies the mortal remains known only to God of a woman aged 23 to 33 and a girl child aged 8 to 10. Their slain bodies were found on November 10th, 1985 in Bear Brook State Park. May their souls find peace in God's loving care. This is the story of the Bear Brook State Park murders. So this was 85. Yes. And they were unable to determine who this woman and child were. Well, according to Wikipedia, the adult was determined to be a Caucasian, possibly Native American ancestry. Her age at the time of death was estimated to be between 23 and 33. Mm-hmm. She had curly or wavy brown hair, was between five foot two and five foot seven in height. Her teeth showed significant dental work, including multiple fillings and three extractions. The girl was also thought to have some Native American heritage. They had light or European American complexions. The little girl showed symptoms that she had pneumonia. She had uh, crooked front teeth, and she had a space between her two front teeth, two earrings in each ear, was between four foot three and four foot six inches in height. Her hair was wavy and light brown. She had no dental fillings. In the early days of the investigation, Authorities publicized the case in the U.S. and some parts of Canada, and at least 10 possible identities were uh, ruled out. Despite hundreds of leads, the bodies were not identified. After several years, the case was closed and entered as a cold case file. Now, one would hope that these people had... uh, family or friends who would miss them, Mm -hmm. that would want to know what became of them, but they scoured all the missing persons reports and they never found one in that area that would um, meet the descriptions and the timeline of these, the two bodies that they found. So if there was no one in that area, you have to wonder if they were already separated from their families and maybe uh, like hiding from someone, maybe that someone found them. That's immediately where my brain goes. Yeah. But also, like, the uh, crime statistics against Native American women are so incredibly discouragingly out of whack with the rest of America. It is nuts. It's nuts how many more Native American women are murdered and how many more of those murders go unsolved. The percentages are mind-blowing. I I don't have them right off the top of my head, but it's nuts. I had no idea. I'm not surprised. It's terrible. Sadly. It's such an underrepresented group. It really, it's it's terrible. So this case just sat on a box on a shelf until May 2000. Oh. 
a detective decided to reopen the case and go back and uh, revisit the scene where the barrel was found and try to put some pieces together. To everyone's horror, two more victims were found about 300 feet away from the first two in another barrel. They were concealed in a 55-gallon metal barrel. At this time, in 2000? In 2000. Oh, my goodness. While their cause of death was undetermined, it dated back to the same time period. Oh, as the first two victims. So they found the first two victims, but they didn't really do a very good job looking around because this was only 300 yards away, another barrel with two more bodies in it. These two bodies were young children. In June, 2013, they put out new versions of the original victims' uh, facial reconstructions, Mm -hmm. as well as uh, facial reconstructions of the two more recently discovered victims. Uh, That was uh, put out by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. These versions incorporated all the dental information, showing how their teeth could have affected the uh, appearance of their faces. Mm -hmm. The reconstructions were created in black and white, as their skin tones and eye color could not be determined definitively. In November 2015, a National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a third set of reconstructions of the four victims, at a news conference at the New Hampshire uh, State Attorney General's office. And then in 2014, police announced that DNA profiling through mtDNA that the woman and the oldest and youngest girls were maternally related. That means that the woman could have been the girl's mother, the aunt, or an older sister. The woman was related to at least one of the children in the second barrel? Yes. Okay. And then in 2015, the woman was identified as the mother of two of the girls that were found. The middle child, they could not match up with uh, with DNA. So other forensic information showed that the woman and the children lived together in the northeastern United States between two weeks and three months before their deaths. It's amazing that we can determine these sorts of things through forensics and uh, DNA investigations. And not just for recent victims either. We've talked about how the the peat bog people, uh, they were able to tell where those uh, Mm -hmm. people had been in the weeks and months leading up to their demise. And they had died a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, Bronze Age, I believe. So the investigators concluded the woman and the two children lived in the area where the bodies were found. Advanced forensic testing showed the uh, two to four-year-old girl probably spent most of her childhood in either the upper northeast or upper midwest, perhaps Wisconsin. Okay. And then just last year, it stated that the uh, non-related child most likely originated from Arizona, Texas, California, or Oregon, although... Additional locations could not be excluded. So this was kind of an ongoing thing. This was changing and evolving uh, quite quickly at this point. But still, we did not know who these people were. And then in a seemingly unrelated case, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children subsequently announced that an unidentified man had abandoned a a young child, a girl named Lisa, at a campground. This child was left by this guy. Real quick, not okay. Mm. Like, there are places to leave children if you don't want to keep taking them places with you. If you are like, hey, I don't want this kid anymore, there are safe havens. Mm. It's called a fire department or a police department. And if you leave a kid at a fire department in a safe haven state, they can't, like, 
prosecute you. It's not like a thing where you're you're abandoning a child. You're doing what's best for the child. And that's why there's such a thing as a safe haven state. And you can't just dump a kid at a campsite. Well, this guy did. Ugh. So Lisa was found in the campground in 1986. And that case remained unsolved until 2013. San Bernardino detective Peter Headley. That's Headley. Got Lisa's case. And genealogy website databases had grown since the case had started. So aided by genetic genealogist Barbara Ray Venter in 2015, Lisa discovered that her mother's identity was a woman named Denise Bowden. Oh, wow. And that the man she once thought had been her father was, in fact, her kidnapper. Oh, that's got to fuck you up. Now, this linked her kidnapper to New Hampshire in the same time frame as the Bear Brooks murder because Denise Bowden was from that area. Oh. Manchester, New Hampshire, in fact. So the unidentified thought-to-be-dad baby dumper might be the guy who put these people in barrels. That's what they're, barrels. They, they were thinking, and they were wondering if maybe the woman in the barrel was Denise Bowden. So in 2017, it was announced that Denise Bowden, who had been missing since 1981, was connected to the murders. Bowden disappeared from Manchester, New Hampshire, along with her young daughter, and then boyfriend Robert Bob Evans. <gasps> like the mashed potatoes? <laughs> no, not the mashed potatoes guy. She was not reported missing until 2016 when, uh, when, in fact, it was after they had determined that this woman was Lisa's mother that uh, they found out, oh, okay, she's been missing since 1981. Oh, wow. I don't really know how that works. Wow. But it was when the DNA for, for Lisa had been sequenced and they were able to, to, to track that down. So now they've got this evidence that Bob Evans could have been responsible for the Bear Brooks murders. There's some substantial evidence that would suggest that. The bad news is that uh, Bob Evans died in prison in 2010 after being convicted in the 2002 murder of his common-law wife in California. In June 2017, police released a video of a police interview with Evans in hopes of finding his true identity because Bob Evans was not his name. He had been arrested. And he went with the mashed potatoes name? He went with the mashed potatoes name and, and nobody, apparently he had uh, the necessary paperwork to fool people. Wow. So two months after they released this video, through Y-DNA testing from a DNA sample contributed by one of uh, Bob Evans' children from what was believed his first marriage because he'd been going by Bob Evans for a long time. Wow. And that's the same technique, by the way, they used to identify... Um, the Golden State the Killer. The Golden State Killer, yeah, yeah. Which led to the arrest of suspect Joseph James D'Angelo in April of 2018. Same technique. Mm. They discovered that Evans was the father of the middle child found in the barrel in Bear Brooks murders. They also discovered that his real identity was Terry Peter Rasmussen. And that Terry Peter Rasmussen had been Bob Evans, but he had been countless other identities. Aha. Uh -huh. New Hampshire investigators announced that the identity of the adult female in the in the barrel with advanced DNA testing was Marlise Elizabeth Honeychurch. Also in the barrel, her six-year-old daughter, Marie Elizabeth Vaughn, and her one-year-old daughter, Sarah Lynn McWaters. Their identities were confirmed through DNA testing in June of last year, 2019. I thought that there were only two babies, I mean, two people in that 
barrel. So it was the one-year-old in the second barrel? Yeah, it was in the second barrel. With Bob Evans' other kid. Yeah. The identity of the middle child who Rasmussen fathered is unknown. They just know that it's his kid. They don't know who the mother of the child is. Okay. Investigators believe that the mother of the child was also killed by Rasmussen and they have not found the body yet. Oh, man. So they're now connecting him to a series of disappearances and unsolved murders. Rasmussen lived a mile and a half away from 14-year-old Laureen Ron, who disappeared from Manchester, New Hampshire in April of 1980. Denise Denault, a 25-year-old woman who lived two blocks from the Ron residence, went missing from a bar in June of 1980. Denault had been living on the same street as Rasmussen. Elizabeth Lamott, a 17-year-old, when she disappeared from Manchester in 1984. She was not reported missing until police were seeking more information on Rasmussen in 2017. One tipster speculated that she could have been the Elizabeth Evans that had been listed as his wife during his time in Manchester. However, DNA testing from Lamont's relatives proved later that she was one of the victims in the, quote, redhead murders. Lamont had been found in Tennessee in 1985, killed about four months after her disappearance. Oh, my gosh. When Lisa was being interviewed by detectives in 1986, they asked her if she had any siblings. She said that she did, but they died eating grass mushrooms when they were out camping. Her answer led police to believe that Rasmussen killed them, too. He's connected, he's connected to a uh, Jane Doe death in San Joaquin County and several other missing persons or unsolved murder cases. This guy, although he died in prison at the age of 67 and was convicted for one death, could have been responsible for 30 or 40 wow. deaths. And, and Lisa survived. Like, she did. How? It's a great question. Criminologist Jack Levine has said that Rasmussen is, li- is unlike any other serial killer that he's studied because he says what distinguishes Rasmussen from most serial killers is that he's, he targeted people that he had relationships with. Yeah. Most serial killers, they kill strangers. That's how they think they're going to get away with it as long. And, and sadly, sometimes they do. Most serial killers would never target people they know. Well, sometimes that's how it starts. You know, we covet what we see every day. Teddy Peter Rasmussen has been dubbed the chameleon killer due to his use of various mm. alias, aliases in the crime spree, which no. stretched across the country and uh, and spanned several decades. Disagree. I think it's the tuber killer. That's kind of a, a mixed bag, isn't it? I mean, it's nice that there's some closure there. <laughs> For sure. But at the same time, it took decades and the guy was never held responsible for all of the murders that he convicted or even more than one, you know. Did he at least die in prison by by way of a shiv? No, he he didn't get shivved. It was natural causes. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. But, I mean, I can't get over the fact that somehow Lisa didn't get murdered. Yeah. She was just dumped off at a campground. Yeah. Like, what, what leads someone who does all that murdering to go like, oh, well, this one, I'll just... Leave it a campground. Yeah. And you can well imagine that probably that's gone through that oh, person's yeah. mind, Lisa's mind, which is not her real name, by the way. Every day since this was disclosed, yeah. how close she came to ending up in a barrel in the woods Oof. and for whatever reason was spared that <sighs> demise. That's rough. 
So that's the Bear Brook State Park murders, murders that went unsolved for nearly three decades and um, ultimately was solved, but can't say that justice was really served. We were going to call this segment Kevin, but it didn't do well in focus groups. So now we call it That Thing in the Middle. Hey, The Thing in the Middle today is just a bunch of weird, unrelated, strange, but true facts. Number five, the average breast size in the United States is 36 double D. Ten years ago, it was 36 C. Number four, the death worm is said to spit a toxic acid-like substance and have the ability to shoot a deadly jolt of electricity from several feet away. (laughs) From boobs to bugs. It's usually how it goes. Number three, according to an Ohio State University uh, study, women gain weight after marriage Men gain weight after divorce. I buy that. Number two, in 1989, the Broward County Sheriff's Office manufactured its own crack to use in sting operations. (laughs) And number one, money actually can buy happiness if you're spending it on the right things. Researchers have found that spending money on experiences like concert family trips or plays lead to higher levels of satisfaction than buying material goods. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would much rather take a vacation than to, you know, buy something and have it sit in my driveway and I never used it for a year. Just gathered dust and <laughs> and then I had to sell it um, way below market value because it was the winter time and nobody wanted it. My Harley, I miss my Harley. All right, all right. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me 
updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. More fun than a Civil War reenactment without the smell of fried chicken, sweaty wool, and sunscreen. This is The Box of Oddities. Two episodes ago, I, I talked about Skinwalker sightings. That's right, yeah. And Eric sent us a message. My uncle had an experience with a skinwalker while in Arizona, proselytizing for our church. He was driving along the road on a Navajo reservation late in the evening when a pale man came running out of the darkness and ran alongside their car, keeping up, even though they were speeding up to 60 miles per hour. He and his partner were freaking out, and eventually the thing peeled off and ran off into the darkness. Creepy AF. <laughs> yeah, the whole skinwalker thing is just, it. I don't know. It creeps me out kind of like Mothman creeps you out. I, I don't even see why there's any reason to t bring that up just now. Why? What, Mothman? <sighs> Sorry. Anyway, what you got for me? Oh, okay. So uh, I'm going to pull out my notes. Notes. Okay. Ready? Birds we've seen today. Uh, Oriole. Red-winged blackbird. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is the wrong note. Yeah. This is just a list of birds that we've seen today. Birds that you've seen. <laughs> you put a bird feeder outside our bedroom window, and I walked into the bedroom. You're sitting on a stool with your notepad, a bird book, and binoculars. <laughs> and I just said, nerd, and kept on walking. <laughs> I'm learning so much. You're adorable. <laughs> no, um... 
not straying far uh, in my nerddom. Today we're going to talk about trees, motherfucker. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, someone sent me a... Uh, screenshot uh, about a very special tree somewhere in the world. And it was actually a very special person that sent it to me, but we're not going to get into that. Um, And it was my sister. Anyway, uh, so I thought, I wonder if uh, we need to know about all the trees and the answer is yes. Oh, okay. Well, good. So uh, we're going to go with some superlative trees. The largest tree in the world. Uh, Largest trees are defined as having the highest wood volume. That's how they determine what the largest tree is. Mm -hmm. Also, it determines the highest paid male stripper, too. No. No. (laughs) It's not the size of the boat. It's how... It's wood volume. It's it's how it floats on your ocean. I don't Uh, remember how that goes. Uh, According to Wikipedia, uh, measurement of the largest tree and wood volume is very complex, especially if branch volume is to be included as well as the trunk volume. Uh, You can imagine that if something's got like 78 branches, it's hard to go in and like measure the branches. It's it's hard to weigh a tree. So measurements have only been made for a small number of trees and generally it's only for the trunk. Few attempts have ever been made to include the root or leaf volume as well, Mm -hmm. but it has been done. Uh, General Sherman is considered to be the largest tree. He is a giant sequoia, and he's located in giant forest of Sequoia National Park in California. All 12 of the world's largest trees are giant sequoias. Giant sequoias are also, by the way, thought to have the thickest bark. The greatest thickness, which has been reliably measured, is two and a half feet. Just the bark. That's the bark. Holy crap. I know. <laughs> so, of course, when you're considering largest tree and you're you're not talking about volume, we go next is height. Like, what's the tallest tree? So the heights of the tallest trees in the world have been subject to considerable dispute and much exaggeration. So modern verified measurements with laser range finders or with tape drop measurements made by tree climbers – have shown that some older tree height measurement methods were very unreliable, and they sometimes would produce exaggerations of 5% to 15% or more above the actual real height. So historical claims of trees growing to 430 feet 490 feet are largely discarded as unreliable and attributed to human error. So it's hard because some trees, which aren't with us anymore, Hmm. may have been listed as like the tallest tree ever. But we don't know if that's actually true anymore because those, those measurements were so unreliable. The tallest tree that we know of right now is Hyperion, and he is a coast redwood that is stands at about 380 feet. Holy crap. That's about 142 grilled cheeses. That's a lot of grilled cheese. (laughs) I was watching a documentary about uh, the giant sequoias in the redwoods Mm. in the Pacific Northwest. And one of the ways that they have evolved to be as tall as they are is how they absorb moisture. Normally, it comes up through the roots. But when you're 380 feet tall, the water's not going to get to the top. So it's the fog that comes in from the ocean. Yeah. And that's how they are able to continue to grow tall. It's incredible. Yeah. 
It's super interesting. There are some uh, rainforest trees that that is, absorb that that same way. It's it's really interesting how uh, different types of trees adapt to their environment and learn to thrive. I shouldn't say learn, but adapt and and thrive right. because of where they are. And it's like that whole you know uh, strong trees because of the wind thing. And anyway, <clears throat> well, the, yeah, the the strongest wood comes from the trees that are battered by. Nature's greatest storms. Exactly. Or some shit like that. I don't know. Yeah, man. As you know, the age of a tree is determined by growth rings, which can be seen if the tree is cut down or the core is taken from the bark to the center of the tree. So it's pretty tough to tell the age of trees that are still standing. Um, sure. And keep in mind that trees in uniform. Uh, climates or non-seasonal, like tropical climates, they don't have distinct growth rings because it's not like, uh, you know, they go through a period of, let's say, summer Mm -hmm. where they grow and then they kind of stunt in the winter and then grow in the summer and stunt in the winter. So they just grow and grow and grow and grow and the rings aren't as noticeable as they would be in other places of the world. But Methuselah is thought to be the oldest tree in the world. Methuselah is a Great Basin bristlecone pine, and she is thought to be 4,851 years old. Wow. She grows in California and is recognized as the non-clonal tree with the greatest confirmed age in the world. Now, a clonal colony is a group of genetically identical individuals, such as plants, fungi, or bacteria that have grown in a given location, all originating vegetatively and not sexually from a single ancestor. So like when you have a lilac and shoots come off of that lilac and you can dig up the shoot and move it over to another place, that shoot, if if continuing to grow in that same spot, mm-hmm. um, will grow more shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots and it will become one big mass of a lilac bush. Okay. So that's, that's the clonal colony, um, as I understand it. If we're talking about clonal colonies, the 80,000-year-old quaking aspen colony named Pando is in south-central Utah, and that's thought to be the oldest clonal colony in the world. 80,000 years. 80,000 years. Wow. Yeah. How, how much? Big. Space does it? Real big. Olive trees are also known to live for centuries. The oldest olive tree in the world is estimated to be from the Minoan times in 1350 to 1100 BC. It's located in Crete. So who has the biggest leaves? Raffia regalis is a species of flowering plant found in Angola, Cameroon, the Republic of Congo, and Nigeria. And these leaves can get up to 10 feet long. Wow. Yeah. So how big is the tree? So the tree's not that big. The tree can be incredibly stout, even sometimes being entirely underground. But the leaves make their way. Oh. It's so cool. And if you look at pictures, they they look like... Um, I don't know, like hair pieces. They're like uh, the like the fringe on fancy drapes. It's just really so. If if you interesting and beautiful, if you came across that, mm-hmm. let's say you know you're having a jungle outing, of course, and and you, and you come across that, you would see it and think, well, there are some really big ferns, 
But in reality, there's a whole fucking tree underneath of it buried in the soil. Well, it's not it's not like a giant tree that you would see above ground. It's just a small stout st- tree underground. Like the the tree system itself lives underground. I yes, see. but it's not like a like a 10 foot tall tree I like my description better. Okay, that's fine. So the trees with the broadest crowns have the widest spread of limbs from a single trunk. Now let's talk about banyan trees. Banyan trees, you know, you've, you've lived in, in the South and you've seen mm-hmm. these, these banyan growths. And so banyan trees are interesting because they are the type of tree that birds disperse their seeds. But the seeds are super small and the seeds that germinate on the ground are very unlikely to survive. But many seeds fall on the branches and stems of other trees and like buildings and stuff and they can survive better on those surfaces so hmm. they kind of all grow together and in and out of each other and on top of each other and make these big masses of trees yeah you've seen pictures probably i'm thinking of uh, the ruins at angkor wat mm. in cambodia that's very yes and the tree just sort of over time swallows up the temple or whatever it happens to be growing around. Banyans are also known as the strangler fig for exactly that reason. Really? And they can grow to about 590 feet. That's a cross. So about two and a half times as long as the wingspan of a 747. Good Lord. Who's the chonkiest tree? According to Wikipedia, the stoutest tree is the Montezuma bald cypress, and uh, her name is El Arbol del Tul, uh, or the Tree of the Tul, and uh, she's located in the church grounds of the town center of Santa Maria del Tul. So in 2001, Montez- this, this Montezuma bald cypress was placed on a UNESCO tentative list of world heritage sites no kidding. because of how... Uh, amazingly chonky he is. <laughs> in 2005, its trunk had a circumference of 138 feet. That's about seven giraffes. How many grilled cheese? Don't know. Another tree that can get uh, super stout is uh, baobab. They can store enormous amounts of water in the very soft wood of their trunk. And again, it's another way that a tree evolves to uh, thrive in its very specific environment. And that leads to marked variation in their girth over the year. So throughout the year, they can be either more bloated or thinner. And I think of that as like me, you know, in the winter, I I chonk up a little bit. (laughs) I get get ready for the long, cold winter. Um, So we we get chonky, uh, but not for the same reasons. Uh, Mine's not just water weight. (laughs) So anyway, those are some of the most amazing trees, and I have to go see them, and I love them all. Okay. Uh, You mentioned the whole counting tree rings Mm. thing. It reminded me of a story. I was was feverishly trying to find it here without being too distracted, and and I was unable to. But So don't assume that this is all correct. I never do. (laughs) As I remember the story, I think it was New Zealand that they found fossilized trees. Yeah petrified i don't know what kind of tree it was but it was it was a fossilized or petrified wood of an entire tree and they were able to examine the tree rings on it and they have been able to determine that the tree perished a couple of years after what appeared to be a large volcanic eruption yeah uh-huh. 
And they've been able to date it to about 12,000 years ago. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Sure is. I love that stuff. So that would have been right about the time Atlantis sank. Oh, okay. Yeah. Most uh, Atlantis enthusiasts (laughs) (laughs) think that uh, that that occurred around 12.5 thousand years ago. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Thanks for hanging out for me with me while we talk about trees. You are such a nerd. In the most delightful way. Shut it. Freaks, we appreciate you hanging out with us. And uh, thanks to those of you who have recently um, supported the Box of Oddities by, by joining the premium channel. And uh, we, we do appreciate that. If you have not yet done so, you can by going to theboxofoddities.com. By supporting the Box of Oddities and becoming a, a member of the Order of Freaks on the premium channel, you get... Uh, the bonus episode every month, you get your shows delivered a day early and ad free, as well as you've got direct access to us through the back channel. Again, all of that stuff available, theboxofoddities.com. It's also where you can find details about our merch and uh, when, fingers crossed, we plan more live shows. It's all right there. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.